Well, hey there, Story Family. This is Pastor Eric coming at you all the way from the beautiful Texas hill country here in Fredericksburg. And I'm uh, spending a few days with Pastor Gio as well as uh, the launch team of um, the farmhouse, which is the house church that the story is helping to plant here in Fredericksburg. Also uh, spending a little time with my dad, who I talked about on our Christmas Eve uh, services, and um, it's been great. What a blessing. Wish I could be with you all in person. Just wanted you to know what a special treat you have in store for you today. Um, one of my closest friends, we've been close for several years now. He's a part of the story, but has since moved out of town. You might not have seen him around much, but he's here to preach his first ever sermon at the Story Church. And um, he's preached a little bit elsewhere. I'll let him tell that part of his story. His name is Derek Merman. I know you're gonna be blessed by the word that the Lord has given him to share with all of you today. I just invite you right now to open up your ears and your hearts to the message that Derek has for you. So Derek, come on up, brother. Proud of you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's a nice welcome. Uh, thank you and uh, good morning, Story Church and um, happy New Year. Um, as Eric mentioned, uh, my name is uh, Derek Merman. Uh, as he also mentioned, I live on a um, ranch outside of town. He might not have mentioned that. He lived, I, I live outside of town on a ranch with my family. Uh, my wife, uh, Shana, the pretty one there, the pretty blonde. And then my boy, JB, my daughter, Clara, and that's me. Um, we live on a ranch, and so this is my view every morning. Yeah, we raise cattle, and uh, the traffic uh, jams that I have to deal with every day look like this. <laughs> uh, that's my uh, Aussie Doodle Sky. She thinks she's a cow dog. Uh, that's a calf. He knows he's a calf. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's where I am. Um, I'm also a lawyer, and my office is here in Houston. Uh, you um, might have seen this billboard. If you have, I apologize. Uh, if you've got to look at my face when you go to work, it's not anything I'm particularly proud of, but it is. Uh, it is up there, and, and that's what I do. Um, you'll notice from my resume, what's missing is uh, that I'm a pastor. And <laughs> that's because I am not a pastor. Um, I, um, I'm trying, though. I even went so far as to this fall enroll in the seminary, but my trial schedule was so busy uh, that I wasn't uh, able to sign up for or attend any classes, so I'm coming up to y'all uh, pretty raw here, uh, and so I'll ask for some grace. I know I've come to the right place for that. Um, this is not my first sermon. Uh, I have preached a little bit in a, a little church in Burton, Texas. Uh, my friend Chad's parents planted a church out there um, in the spring, and they let me come out there and preach five or six times uh, over the summer. Uh, so uh, I have done this a few times, um, although if you took all of the people in that church uh, and added up all six sermons, they wouldn't add up to half the people that are sitting in this room today. So uh, this is a much bigger stage than I'm used to, and, and uh, like I said, I'm a little bit nervous, but we're going to get through this thing. Um, <clears throat> Eric uh, is a dear friend of mine, and uh, he asked me to come up here, I think, to encourage me. Uh, to continue uh, kind of kicking the tires on this thing and seeing if it's something right for me. And I think also um, he loves me and uh, he's trying to save me. And in that regard, I certainly hope uh, he is successful. Uh, we are here on part 15 
of the stories walk through Acts. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Acts 10, which I think is a story of one of the most pivotal moments in the Christian church. And it just so happens to be the perfect passage for New Year's Eve. It is a story, from my perspective, of estrangement and the call to conversion. Estrangement and the call to conversion. Um, Two weeks ago, um, Eric talked to you about Acts 10, uh, and he focused on Peter. Now, that was the backside of the eggnog fog, um, but I promise you that happened. Uh, Today, I'm going to focus on the other main character in Acts, and that's Cornelius. And we're going to kind of unpack Cornelius, his estrangement and his conversion, uh, see how that happened and and what that message holds for us. So we're going to start in Acts 10, uh, where you probably ought to start, right at the beginning. Verses 1 through 5. So they say, at Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. And so that's where we start with Cornelius. And I'll tell you, there's not a whole lot more to learn about Cornelius and his background. He's never mentioned in the Bible before Acts 10, and he won't be mentioned from Acts 11 on. Um, And so his estrangement may not just jump off the page to you. So I want to walk through that with you. What I mean by estrangement is Cornelius was as far from the Christian faith and the Christian church as a person could be. Okay. First off, he was a Gentile which means he's not a Jew. And those are terms that we throw around a lot when we talk in the Old Testament and the New, uh, Jews and Gentiles, right? But what it meant back then was these Gentiles were fundamentally unclean, just profoundly unclean. It was unlawful for a Jew to even associate with anyone that wasn't a Jew, that they were from a different country, different color, they're untouchable, right? Now, Peter, after being prompted several times by the Lord, um, does come and visit Cornelius uh, and his family. And these are the first words out of Peter's mouth when he gets there in uh, Acts 10, 28. It's coming. (laughs) He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. That was Peter's perspective. And that would have gone for anyone, any Gentile. 
um, they would have been unlawful for them to associate with. And I racked my brain for some analogy, some perspective, right, that we could have today on that kind of gulf between two sets of people. And I just couldn't come up with anyone, uh, with anything, that, that it's just unlawful to associate with a person because of their religion or their nationality. Right? And so when I talk about the estrangement of Cornelius, that's it. Right? I mean, he is a Gentile, and he is not part of the faith. Um, he didn't grow up worshiping the God of Abraham. He's just not the people. Right? But for Cornelius, the estrangement was even greater than that, because not only was he a Gentile, but he was a Roman. And the Romans at that time had occupied that part of the world and were oppressing the Jews. I mean, these are the people that put Jesus on the cross. So not only was he not the people, he was the enemy. And not only was he the enemy, but he was a centurion. And that means that he was the leader of a cohort of men, of about 100 men, trained killers, uh, the most efficient killers, hand-to-hand -hand maybe, that the world has ever seen. And given where they were stationed, I think it's fair to say that a lot of that killing was the Jews. And Cornelius was their leader. And this was not a position that you're born into. He earned his way into being a centurion. Uh, this is a merit-based position, and that means he was the most proficient and efficient killer of them all. And so he earned that top spot. And so you can forgive Peter <laughs> for saying, whoa, uh, are you sure you got that right, Lord? This is the guy I'm supposed to go visit. Um, <clears throat> now, the passage makes clear that Cornelius was not without his redeeming qualities. It says that he was a good person, right? He did good works. He was a God-fearer, which means by this time in his life, he worshiped the God of Abraham. He prayed at the right time. You know, he prayed at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He gave alms to the poor. He was good people. Um, he was so good that he was visited personally by an angel. And the angel said... Cornelius, you're doing great. All of your good works and your prayers have come up personally, right in front of God, as a memorial before God. You're doing awesome. Now go send for Peter, right? Um, because what also comes through in the story is that the good works aren't enough. Right? The alms aren't enough. The prayers aren't enough. What Cornelius needed, what we all need, is conversion. So let me define for you conversion when that term is used in the Bible. It means a fundamental redirecting, a turning about is what it literally means. It's like your compass was pointing south, and when you're converted, you turn around and your compass is pointed north. Um, it is a redirection of you. It's still you. You get to keep your hair color. You get to keep your clothes. Uh, you get to keep your name. Um, it's you. It's just your center of worship is pointed in a new direction. And what I mean by worship 
is that thing that you hold most dear, right? That thing that you pray to in the wee hours, uh, that thing you put up on a pedestal, the thing that um, drives your life. Um, it ought to be Jesus, right? The thing up on the pedestal that we worship ought to be Jesus. Um, and when it's not, it's something else because we all worship something. If we're not putting Jesus on the pedestal, we're putting something else on the pedestal. And I don't know what it was for Cornelius. Maybe it was an actual statue. Um, it wasn't Jesus because Cornelius had never heard of Jesus. Um, the word had not spread to the Gentiles. It had not gotten to him. He didn't know him. Um, you can kind of give him a little bit of grace, right, for not having Jesus up on the pedestal. He just didn't know who he was. When we don't put Jesus on the pedestal, we're putting something else up there um, every time. You can take that to the bank. Um, I can list off some of the popular ones, you know, some of the ones that our culture and our society um, help us put up on the pedestal, like power, right? You can find a lot of self-help books about how to get that power, popularity, fame, money. And I was talking to a friend yesterday as I was kind of, you know, bending his ear about this sermon, and, uh, and he confessed that money for him, you know, he's trying to shake it, but, but you know, deep down in his soul, um, when he's thinking about why he does what he does, it's money, uh, and he's working on it. Um, and it's something for all of us. For me, it was um, control. And not control like I want to control other people and make them do what I want to do, what I want them to do. It was um, <clears throat> a control over my life and over my situation. I wanted to be in control of my fate. Um, and it, if I look at it in the rearview mirror, has probably guided every important decision I've ever made. Um, I want to be my own boss. Um, I don't like taking orders from people. I want to be in control of my life. And, and I know where it came from. Um, like Cornelius, I came by my idol honest, I think. And we'll share that with you. Um, when I was five, just about to turn six, uh, my dad was killed in a plane accident. And, um, and that was just world shattering for me. Um, he was, you know, I mean, he was my dad. And I was his boy. And um, there was a lawsuit afterwards, and um, we got a little, a little recovery. And uh, my mom was absolutely unprepared for what she had been handed. Um, she wasn't equipped to be a single mom. Uh, she wasn't equipped for a grieving little boy. She um, wasn't equipped for the money that she had received. And in a lot of respects, she kind of made me her idol at that time, sending me to you know, fancy boarding schools and things like that. And, um, and she became an alcoholic, a pretty bad alcoholic. And, um, and money disappeared. 
And the, the last thing that she did with the money that was left was buy a little ranch outside of Waco. And uh, we lived there in the single wide mobile home. It was used um, when we moved into it. And that's where we lived when I was going all through high school. And um, we ate a lot of pinto beans. <laughs> we ate a lot of venison. Uh, we didn't have um, two nickels to rub together. And then, um, because it was old and used, the mobile home burnt down. And what little we had was also taken away. And, um, and so I lived with family, or I lived with friends um, who became like family uh, as I got through my senior year in high school. And that experience put in my bones that I wanted to be in control, right? I mean, I wasn't going to let that happen again. I was going to be my own boss so that I couldn't be fired. I wasn't given that control over to somebody else. Right? I wanted to save money, and I'm an avid saver, because I wasn't going to let my family be poor like I was ever again. It guided everything that I did. It was my idol. It was my center of worship. <sighs> and I came by it honest, right, like Cornelius. Um, I was not without my redeeming qualities. I think, even now, I would probably say I was a good person. Um, my philosophy wasn't Christian. I kind of espoused a Immanuel Kant kind of philosophy where I lived such that I could will everyone to live like me, right? Like, that was, that was my thing. That's what I would tell people. That's my morality. And I did good things, right? I mean, on every Christmas um, day, uh, I would... When I was in high school, I would go deliver meals on wheels. I mean, <laughs> there were no Christmas presents at home, right? So why not uh, go deliver some meals on wheels? I did good things. I would help people on the side of the road if they were broke down. Um, I think I was a good person. I was trying. Um, but it's not enough. Uh, it wasn't enough for Cornelius. Uh, it wasn't enough for me. It's not enough for you. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 18 just clears a bell repeatedly. If you're not converted, if Jesus is not the thing on your pedestal, then the door to heaven is closed. That's it, right? It doesn't matter how many good works you do. It doesn't matter what kind of deals you try to make with God. Uh, it doesn't matter if your scales are so imbalanced in favor of good that it would be a sin to leave you out of heaven. You're not getting in. You spend every day, every minute, ministering to the poor and helping the sick. And if you're not converted, the kingdom of heaven is closed. All right, well, happy new year, y'all. <laughs> no, I'm not going to leave you with that. Uh, <laughs> but I will tell you, uh, I've only given a few sermons, but uh, my wife, Shana, uh, noticed a trend kind of early on, uh, and uh, so it was probably after my first or second sermon. It had to be second, I guess, for it to be a trend. She comes to me and she says, Shug, uh, I've noticed that your sermons are a little dark. <laughs> They're, you're trending a little fire and brimstone up there. You might consider delivering a piece of good news from time to time. And uh, she was in this, as she is in all things, right? Uh, and so I've tried to 
you know, adjust that a little bit. But look, I kind of come by that fire and brimstone honest too. Um, you know, I read the Bible, but I don't read it every day. Like I read it when I'm getting ready to come preach a sermon, right? I mean, I take that real seriously. And so I read the passage and then I reread the passage I'm going to preach on. And then I read commentary from biblical scholars about the passage. And then I listen to sermons from other people um, that have talked about that passage. And I really dig in. And, um, and when I said that I thought Eric was trying to save me, that's what I was talking about. He knows that I do that. And so he encourages me to come up here. But when I do that, you know, I feel that estrangement, right? I feel that my compass isn't pointed in the right direction, um, that I'm drifting off, right? I mean, even, even after conversion, um, I feel like um, my compass, my compass drifts off. And so if I, if I trend a little fire and brimstone, it's because when I'm preparing this, I'm feeling the fire and I'm smelling the brimstone. And, uh, and that comes out uh, when I'm up here. I'm working things out. And I'm sorry to turn you all into my therapist. But, uh, <laughs> but look, you get what you get, right? I mean, the guest pastor shows up. He brings all his baggage with him. So, uh, and so you get that too. Um, but <clears throat> this is not a fire and brimstone story. This story is good news. And it has a happy ending um, for all of us. For... Cornelius, um, his conversion uh, looked like this. We're going to take a look at Acts 10, verses 44 through 48. So I'll give you a little backstory here. Peter had showed up um, with the brothers from Joppa, and he had explained the gospel to Cornelius and all of his family, who Jesus was, what he did, why he did it, most importantly, why he did it, and what that means for us. And it says... While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So this is what it looks like, and that's really good news. Um, it happened um, in a similar way to me. I wasn't visited by Peter, and I was not a centurion, but uh, I was sitting in um, the Story Church, and um, I was not raised a Christian, and um, I was in church because my wife's a Christian, and I loved her, and um, it made her happy if I went with her, and so I did, because um, like they say, happy wife, happy life, right? And so um, there I sit in church, and I'm listening to Eric, and, um, and something hit me. Um, I can't remember what passage he was preaching about, but I felt it in my bones. You know, I didn't speak in tongues or anything like that, but, I mean, I felt it. Um, I felt this feeling like I'm not an accident, right? I believed that. I believed that I was created for a purpose, 
that my life has meaning and that the center of my focus needs to be Jesus and everything that flows out of that is just out of gratitude. And that's, that's how it looked um, for me. Uh, but I still, um, you know, I still would look behind the curtain there, um, look at that control. A lot of you um, stood up that day and um, promised uh, to help keep me on the path. Hillary did. She's here. Um, and I'm grateful for that uh, because we need that, right? I mean, even after, even after we're there, there's a lot of voices, right? And there's a lot of noise. And it's hard to shake off those idols that we've put on the pedestals. And you don't need any more evidence of my struggle than to look at where I live, right? I mean, I live on a ranch with solar panels and well water and beef on the hoof, and I butcher my own meat, and I can live off grid. I mean, I still you know, feel compelled to those things, but they're no longer the center of my focus. They're no longer my worship. They're not necessarily bad things if they're not up on the pedestal. So <clears throat> we've talked about the who. And who is called to conversion is the star of this show. There's no question, right? The fact that after Acts 10, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter where you're born, where you live. It doesn't matter if you were previously a mass murderer of Jews like Cornelius was. If the message is there for Cornelius and there for me, it's there for everybody. And so who is really the star of this show? What is a close second, if not tied for first? I mean, that discarding of the other idols, right? Placing Jesus up there at the center, I mean, that is fantastic news. It's liberating, it's relieving, it's good news. When you hear that the who is everybody and the what is eternal salvation, uh, the question that comes to my mind is, well, how do you get there, right? How does that happen? Because when you hear about the who and the what, at least to me, I'm like, I want to go to there. How do I get to there? And I think there's a message in Acts 10 that's subtle, um, but I think it's also really, really good news about the how we get to conversion. In the Bible, I've seen three different ways that God calls to us. And make no mistake, it's God calling to us. Right? When Jesus came down to earth, he was seeking us. When he told his parables about the lost coin and the lost sheep, he's the shepherd. We're the lost sheep. He'll leave the, the people in the corral and he'll go find us. That's what he's telling us. He is seeking us. How does he seek us? Well, I see three ways, like I said. The first is direct message from God to your ear. And we've seen a lot of that over the last few weeks. I call it the shout. And uh, I call it the shout, for, at least to some degree, because it rhymes with there is no doubt. Uh, when you hear the shout, there is no doubt. We heard it with Peter, Cornelius, Mary, Joseph, God speaks directly to those people, and there's no question what it is he's asking them to do. 
Moses, Abraham, Adam and Eve, right? The shout happened, and I think it still happens. And I'll tell you, um, <laughs> uh, the reception is a little bit of a mixed bag, right? I mean, when you get the shout, not everybody's like, oh, fantastic. Uh, some people are pretty reluctant to go. And, and what, I, what I tell you is if you get the shout, uh, just do what he says. Uh, you're going where you're going. You can either run or you can be dragged. But uh, when you get the shout, that's where you're headed. Okay, so that's the shout. Um, and I think it happens. The other one um, that I think happens um, is one I'll call the whisper. It's the still, small voice. And this is a little bit of a non sequitur in Acts 10, but I want to look at 1 Kings, um, mostly because I just love this story and I get to pick uh, the stories that we uh, go through when I'm up here. It's, um, uh, it's the story of... Um, um, Oh, man, I'm, I'm losing it. Elijah, yeah. <laughs> it's the story of Elijah. Uh, he's in the desert, and in uh, Kings 19, 11 and 12, it says this. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And that's when Elijah put his face in his hands and hit his knees. Um, and I think there's a message in there for us, too, about how God seeks us. We get in messes, right, when it's the wind and the fire and the earth is shaking and I think it's worth listening for that still, small whisper. Um, I think that's one way that God seeks for us. But I think more often, it's the neighbor. That's what I call the third way, the neighbor. I think God uses us to spread the gospel. And I think that's a lot more common. It's how he spread the gospel and converted Cornelius, right? I mean... Cornelius had an angel in front of him that said, Cornelius. He said, yes, Lord, tell me what to do. That angel could very easily have said, let me tell you about Jesus, right? He's the son of God. He came down to earth to redeem us from the sins that no sacrifice could pay except for his perfect sacrifice. And if Cornelius hears this, I bet you my last nickel that he's converted forever, right? I mean, he was ready. He was open. But that's not how God chose to do it. God chose to do it through Peter. And I don't know why God uses us to spread the word, but I suspect it's because when he does it that way, he reaches the messenger and the receiver, right? I mean, look at what happened through this method of the call, right? So Cornelius is converted, but not just Cornelius, his family, friends, servants, employees. They heard the words that Peter said and were converted. Look at what happened with Peter and the brothers from Joppa. They were converted. They had Jesus at the center of their life, but they needed redirecting, 
right? They thought it was only for the Jews, and now a whole world had opened up to them. So God reached the messenger and the receiver. And spoil alert for Acts 10, the brothers from Joppa and Peter go to the mother church in Jerusalem. They tell those apostles, those apostles are redirected, and now the word is being spread to every corner of the earth. Instead of saving a single soul with the shout, God saves billions with the neighbor, right? It just gives me tangles. That is really, really good news. So, here we sit on New Year's Eve. Got some Corneliuses in here. Probably got some Peters that need a little bit of redirecting. All of us, I bet, because it's New Year's Eve, come in here thinking we want to be a better version of ourselves tomorrow than we are today, right? Maybe lose a little weight. I'm going on a fast with my wife. Maybe Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. <laughs> it's supposed to be five days, my last three or four days. I get pretty hangry. Um, maybe we want to spend more time with the family um, or save more money, um, give more to the poor, do more good. And those are all good things. But I've got a suggestion. For the Peters and Marys and brothers of Joppa that are in here, let's resolve to share the message. It's what God intends for us. It is impactful. Let's resolve to be brave and take the message to places and people where we feel it might not belong. Let's resolve to spread the word. And for us Corneliuses, the good people uh, that aren't quite there, um, the do-gooders, the bargainers, uh, the people trying to earn their way into salvation. Uh, God is calling for us. Uh, he wants us with him. This year, let's resolve to listen. Okay? God is calling. Let's resolve to answer. All right, pray with me. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for our lives. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died to pay the price that we can never pay. Help us tomorrow to be a better people. Help redirect us, refocus us, and put you at the center of our worship. Thank you so much for each other and this church community and the support uh, that it provides uh, for all of us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.